Virginia Tech is 2-0 and heading to visit an old foe in Morgantown, while UVA, also unbeaten, aims to keep its streak going against North Carolina in Chapel Hill. All that, injuries hit the ACC, and Aaron McFarland's puppy chow, this week on Teal and Barber. Welcome in to episode 58 of Teal and Barber, the Richmond Times-Dispatch and Richmond.com's Virginia Tech, UVA, and ACC Sports Podcast. I'm Mike Barber, ACC beat writer for the paper, and joining me here, as always, my co-host, the 13-time Sports Writer of the Year and the Virginia Sports Hall of Famer, Mr. David Teal. David, how are you, sir? Good afternoon, Mike. Welcome to Rivalry Week. Yeah, it should be a good one on both sides. And, um, you know, I feel like every week we've got something we're looking forward to. Uh, but this one does have a little a little extra juice. And it, it got me thinking because we got some fairly inflammatory bulletin board material from a UVA uh, player this week. We'll get into that later in the show. But it did get me thinking about, in all your time in this business, what's some of the best smack talk you've heard or bulletin board material? What What jumps out to you? Well, th- this will be a little different, Mike, but I think it's such a unique story and probably one that our listeners aren't aware of that I'll share it. Back in the 1980s, this is before Virginia had ever defeated Clemson. The Cavaliers' first win in that rivalry didn't come until 1990. Danny Ford, the then Clemson coach, convinced his players before their game, their home game against UVA, that the Cavaliers had champagne in the locker room (laughs) and were going to celebrate after beating Clemson. And so after the game, which the Tigers won, all the players we're talking to said, yeah, Coach Ford told us they had champagne in the locker room and we were no way we were going to let that happen. And I'm thinking to myself, you knuckleheads fell for that? (laughs) I mean, I th- it was one of the great coaching con jobs of all time. But to hear the players talk, they bought it hook, line, and sinker. And that's, I mean, bulletin board material doesn't really matter where it came from or if it's real, right? If it fires you up, it had its desired effect. This was before my time. And maybe one day we'll have uh, John O'Connor come by and, and, and tell this story. But uh, when I was covering James Madison for the Harrisonburg paper and they played Richmond, they always told the story of, and you probably know this, of the pudding game, uh, where during the week, uh, a player from uh, one of the sides, and I can't remember now which which team was which, uh, but a player from one of the sides had said the opposing defense was soft like pudding. Um, you'd go through them like pudding. They're soft like pudding was the quote. And when that team ended up inevitably just destroying the, the team that had alleged they were a soft dessert, they celebrated with jello pudding cups in the locker room, uh, <laughs> smashing them, eating them, throwing them all over. So uh, it is funny because – the same coaches who will tell you in one breath that bulletin board material is overrated and, and that stuff is you know out by the time you kick off. They're the same ones that if they find a juicy little tidbit, they're going to be throwing it in every locker and on that bulletin board. So uh, I'm curious, Dave, what do you think in, in your time doing this? Does it matter? Does it does it have an impact on games? Occasionally, perhaps, I think in in the big picture, the the more accurate answer is no, it, especially in, in, in football, simply because there are so few games. You have so few opportunities to suit up 
and go play. If if you need manufactured motivation, you might have a problem. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I, I always go back and forth on it. And here's where I've ended up landing. Coaches in college football are going to find something to prod their team with all week. If you say nothing as the opponent, it's going to be, hey, this team beat us last year. If you say nothing all week, it's going to be, yeah, you won the game, but you gave up 300 rushing yards. College coaches are going to find a way to light a fire under their guys. Maybe you make it a little easy if you go out and say something uh, you shouldn't. You know, that's one of those where it's like, okay, we served it up on on a tee for them. Um, But really, at the end of the day, these coaches are going to find something to light a fire under their guys' butts. And um, I don't know if it matters if you give them bulletin board material. They're going to find something to push their team through the week. Now, looking at a team that that really should need no no extra motivation this week, uh, Virginia Tech, and they're going to visit an old kind of longtime rival. It's not an annual rival anymore because they're no longer in that old Big East. But David, what what comes to mind when you think about Virginia Tech playing West Virginia? Well, the first thing is 1999. I mean, that's the the easy and the obvious answer, and it's the correct answer, by the way, <laughs> because here here the Hokies are. They're undefeated. They are in the national championship hunt, and all of a sudden, in the four, deep into the fourth quarter, they find themselves behind against a very pedestrian Mountaineer team. And the place is losing its collective mind. And here comes that redshirt freshman quarterback, number seven, Michael Vick. And the pump fake and the run down the sideline and the field goal at, at the gun. And just a, a, amazing as, as clutch a, a two-minute drive as you'll ever see. And the Hokies go on. Uh, to finish undefeated and, and, and play Florida State in the national championship game. But, yeah, you know, there, there, there are others. Saver. Pardon? A season saver. Oh, absolutely. But you, you can go back a decade earlier, 1989, the Hokies beat number nine, number nine West Virginia in Morgantown. It was the highest-ranked team Virginia Tech had ever defeated. It was the first-ranked team the Hokies had defeated under Frank Beamer. Yeah, it's a, and I think what adds to it, and and you know the history and the games, but what adds to it is Morgantown is a, and I'm going to put this in air quotes. It's a special place to play a football game, <laughs> and I had been warned that. You know, I was I guess a sophomore at Rutgers, and we were heading down to to cover a Rutgers West Virginia game, and um, you know some of the veteran players were telling me, oh, you you've never seen anything like it, and you know, I, I thought, okay, you know, it could be loud. Certainly I've seen loud stadiums and um, it could be energetic. And we were, I guess, in the tunnel where the team was coming out. Cause you know, in college you, you do a little of everything. And I think I was taking some photos and uh, <laughs> somebody got hit by a double a AA battery uh, coming out of the stands and it mm-hmm. hit off the player's helmet and ricocheted back. And a friend of mine, another photographer actually caught it um, and kind of showed it to me. And I said, oh, look at that. It is a different kind of place uh, to, to play a state game. I remember pulling up and my first time there, there was a sign that said, uh, welcome to Mountaineer Field. Please leave firearms in the parking lot. <laughs> and I thought to myself, this isn't a parking lot that I want to spend a lot of a lot of time in if that's a, a sign that needs to go up. But, you know, that atmosphere is special. And I think, David, there's something about Morgantown and Blacksburg, right? They're both kind of remote. 
little rural, right? And, and there isn't, there's not another show in town in Morgantown. There's not another show in town in Blacksburg. And you can say what you want about what, what you prefer in terms of where you'd want to live or hang out, but there's something special about those places where, hey, it's WVU football on Saturday. It's Virginia Tech football on Saturday, and there isn't much else going on. I, I think that adds something to it. Sure does, w- w- without question. And Mike, we'll, we'll, we'll talk a, l- a little later in, in the pod about conference realignment. But since Virginia Tech left the Big East to go to the ACC back in 2004, leaving West Virginia behind, there's some resentment. You know, the, the, the Mountaineers are thinking, you know, why couldn't we be in, in the ACC? And you can make the case that they would fit quite nicely. They don't make business sense, which is why they are not in the ACC. But, you know, in, in terms of the Virginia Tech rivalry and, and the backyard brawl against Pitt and quality football and quality men's basketball with, with Bob Huggins, you know, there, there's a lot of assets to, to that athletic department. And though they landed in, in the Big 12 eventually, there's still some some hurt feelings. No, no doubt. And, and David, I said this to you during the week. Um, I guess we were texting. And, um, you know, it feels like in the current climate, Virginia Tech would have a hard time moving into the Big East or the ACC, you know, that kind of a move, because it's not in a major TV market. It doesn't bring a, a tremendous revenue spike. And that's exactly what's held back West Virginia. Um, so in that regard, I mean, Virginia Tech, pretty lucky and and cagey and smart to, to have made their moves when they did. They were, and they had, they had considerable help from some state <laughs> <Yeah>. politicians <laughs> and some movers and shakers at UVA of all places. That's, mm-hmm. that's a long story that could be its own podcast. Trust yeah, me. Stick, stick to politics, stick to sports. Don't get into politics, but yeah, that's uh, maybe a special episode of uh, the greatest UVA to Virginia tech assist of all time. David, let's get back onto the field and um, the Hokies, obviously a huge, huge opening win. Some question. Okay. How would they follow it up? A little bit of a shaky first half. I thought with Middle Tennessee State, but they they finish off with a convincing victory. What did you take away from the MTSU game? Yeah, business as usual. You know, yeah, it was a shaky first half, and Burmeister went down, so you had that scare. But eventually, this is a thirty-five to seven game until Middle Tennessee tacks on a touchdown. What with thirty seconds to go, something right. something like yeah. that. You know, against the reserve defense. So I give. I give the Hokies a lot of credit, showed some maturity, didn't let all the praise go to their heads and just came out and dismissed a team they should have. Yeah, I thought the really big takeaway was week one, I thought, you know, the defense was the story, right? The defense dominated Carolina and and six sacks, three interceptions, all the things they did. Was that an emotional high or was this a good defense? And I thought against Middle Tennessee, it looked like, hey, this is a good defense. Exactly what you're saying, right? Like this defense was too good for Middle Tennessee to do anything against. So come out, do your job. And this game is never really going to be in doubt. And, and I think that's what the defense provided. And I think that's the reason if, if you're a tech fan who thinks, hey, this team could win the division. The fact that that defense, if they're going to play 12 games at a high level, I really like Virginia Tech. If they're going to play eight games at a high level and four, meh, 
it certainly becomes a, a bigger question, especially depending on when the Meh shows up, right? The Meh yes. shows up against the wrong opponent. It's a big problem. Uh, you also mentioned the Burmeister injury scare. And David, there was serious injuries, injury news out of that game, although they didn't know it. It didn't sound like, at least on game day, James Mitchell, the, the incredibly talented, versatile tight end for the Hokies. Uh, he is undergoing right knee surgery, season ending. Uh, he's a guy who people thought might bolt last year for the NFL. He chose to come back. He, he wanted to end on a, on a better note, uh, wins and losses wise. This is a huge loss for Tech, isn't it? Yes, most certainly is. I mean, you just, and look, the, the Hokies do have some depth at tight end with Nick Gallo and Drake Dulius, but they don't have James Mitchell's skill set. Not even when you, if you could somehow morph the two, they just don't. I mean, this young man, he is a, a, a Sunday caliber talent. We saw it in the opener against Carolina, whether that pass was intended for him in the end zone or Tavion Robinson, he went up there and it was his. He yep. considered it his, and nobody else was was going to get it. And considering that you know the part of the game it, it was in, Trey Turner had just dropped what looked like an easy touchdown pass. That was arguably as as big a play as the offense made all day. And you know on jet sweeps, and he was he was a danger there, and. You could split him wide. You could put him in the slot. You could line him up as a traditional tight end. I'm not, other than Burmeister, I'm not sure there's an injury that would have hurt more on the offensive side. Certainly at the skill positions, right? I mean, um, I think losing Brock Hoffman on the offensive line would be on par. But your point is a really good one because I think that Virginia Tech's offense is largely built around the versatility of Mitchell, Blackshear, the athleticism of Burmester. I think there's a way they play in terms of not having to substitute, not tipping plays by personnel, because Blackshear can can play receiver. He can catch out of the backfield. You mentioned all the things Mitchell can can do. That's what you don't replace. And, and what I'm curious to see going forward now, and we're about to talk about this game, I'm curious to see if it changes their offensive identity um, because they're no longer going to be the group that can kind of run anything out of any personnel. If Mitchell's out, it changes things up and a tight end is going to be uh, a more of a conventional tight end. I think they can still be really good offensively, David, but I think it changes their identity to not have him available. And it may show up this week because what do we make of this matchup with the Mountaineers? Well, Hogan are three point underdogs. Surprised me. Yeah, we'll get to another very surprising line in, yeah. in a little bit, at least in in my mind. But you know, West Virginia started the year with a road loss against Maryland, tight game. Arguably, the the Mountaineers should have won, but had turnover issues. And then last week, you know, they're playing LIU, Long Island University, which is a you know, an FCS fledgling, and it was 66 nothing. I don't know that you can take anything Mm-mm. from that, except perhaps because this is hard to do no matter who you're playing. The Mountaineers did take a kick 98 yards to the house. So if, if nothing else, that gives James Shebest and Virginia Tech special teams something to think about. 
they certainly know what the kick return is supposed to look like because it it was executed exactly the way they probably execute it in practice and against air uh, with all due respect to LIU, of course. Um, yeah, I'm interested. I, I thought that Virginia Tech would be favored in this one. Um, maybe not big favorite, but I, I thought four or five points the way their defense is played. Um, you know, but first, first uh, road test, maybe that factors in. We talked about the environment in Morgantown. Maybe that's what Vegas is kind of looking at. It's, it's got to be, um, because otherwise, I, I don't see why you make West Virginia a, a three-point favorite. They're having big-time trouble running the ball. They only average 3.2 yards a carry. You know, we mentioned the turnovers. You know, they've, they, they've done some nice things in the passing game, but, you know, they're not overwhelming anyone there either. Yeah, well, you and I have a pretty good handle on, on the football stuff, but Aaron McFarling's the master when it comes to the line. So we'll get into that with him a little later in today's show and see what he's thinking. Uh, but, it, you know, it is. Virginia Tech, West Virginia, it is a rivalry. It's a game that I think a lot of people wish was a regular on the schedule. And that brings us to this week's edition of Who You Got. Thank you, Mike. And we're going to start with you on this question on the Who You Got. Alliance member or not, what non-conference team would you like to see on Virginia Tech's schedule every year? Go ahead, Mike. Dean, I wish you had a boo, a boo track for, for, because people will boo me for this answer. Mine is purely selfish, purely personal. I'd love to see Rutgers <laughs> come back. I'd love to see Rutgers come back because it's my alma mater, uh, because I enjoyed those Big East games. I'd love to see Rutgers come back for no other reason than to have Frank Beamer tell the story of, of the wild shootout game that, that his team had with the Scarlet Knights. Uh, so yeah, it, it isn't the, uh, the answer that most fans would probably go for, but sign me up for, for Rutgers and Virginia Tech every year. All right. So David, while they're booing Mike, go ahead and uh, oh, give me and, a and, and, and they're, they're throwing batteries at him. Yeah. They, 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 they are not just booing him. <laughs> Clearly, the, the answer for Virginia Tech faithful would be West Virginia. I would caution against ever scheduling someone every year in the non-conference just because it takes away flexibility. But if pressed, I would, I would go a, a little different too. And I would say, and this is a team that I don't believe Virginia Tech has ever played and has certainly never visited Lane Stadium. But given the history of Virginia Tech, not football, but the institution, I would love to see the Hokies play Army West Point. Hmm. Yes. And what what a great experience it is anytime you go there, anytime you play Army. That's a great answer, David. Yeah. No, it's uh and 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 actually it just popped into into my head. I, I've I've been to Army and and seen a game there. I actually shadowed one of one of its football players for several days, you know, went to mess, went to class, and just saw kind of the life of of a cadet football player. And just given the ROTC and and, and all it means at, at, at Virginia Tech, I, I think the Hokies and the Black Knights of the Hudson would be a great rivalry. Now maybe somebody will be listening and they'll get this uh, get that done at least for an occasional game if it doesn't have to be an annual one. Uh, speaking of annual games and ones that have been played many 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 years now and as as many I think as anybody in the ACC if if I'm not mistaken UVA and and North Carolina and Virginia's won the last four they've won both games since Mac Brown uh, took over Mac Brown said this week that Virginia's been the more physical 
full team in, in his two meetings with them, uh, that they've out-toughed his team. Who's defensive end Mandy Alonzo? Going back to our opening, he might have given the Tar Heels some of that old bulletin board material this week when I asked him about the series with North Carolina. From UNC, they always try and come physical, but um, what Mendenhall has been saying the past four years is that it's our culture versus theirs. Like We're going to go harder, longer each play and like the whole game then they will and um even if they come out swinging like we just have to be able to sustain it and we know that they can't sustain it because the past four years they haven't been able to oh boy david i know we said that bulletin board material can be overrated but that sounds like the kind of thing that mac brown reads his team on tuesday and reminds them of as the third quarter ends saturday night like hey these guys don't think you can finish um, what did you make of, of those comments? How about Mandy Alonzo throwing Bronco under the bus? <laughs> <laughs> right? You Drag know, your coach into it. Yes. Yeah, like any good journalist, Mandy attributed that quote <laughs> not to anonymous sources. <laughs> so I was Co- like... Co- coach said blank <laughs> yes not even a coach it's not even open to interpretation it's not robert and I, you know it's not nick howell <laughs> it's bronco mendenhall yeah and there was another moment and, and now i can't remember if it, it was chris glazer or mandy alonzo where the player said um Coach brought up his personal record against Mac Brown, uh, being three and one, going back to the BYU, you know, Texas days. So uh, interesting insight into the mind of of Bronco Mendenhall from his players there. No doubt. And Mike, let let's not forget Mac Brown is three and nine in his career against UVA, hmm. and you know we 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 talked about how the the Cavaliers have have won four in a row in this series. And you mentioned the historical nature of it. This is the 103rd consecutive season that Tar Heels and Cavaliers have met. And the only series in the country that is longer on a continuous basis is Minnesota-Wisconsin. Now, if we could only get a a trophy as cool as Paul Bunyan's axe for for this game. Um, But no, I, I... I, I think it's it's a fascinating game. Carolina is still ranked despite the season opening loss in Blacksburg. And Virginia has not beaten a top 25 team on the road, Mike, since 2011 hmm. at Florida State. Now, this Virginia team, David, 2-0, and and they've outscored their opponents, William & Mary in Illinois, 85-14. to are, are we ready to take them seriously, or do we want to wait and see what happens Saturday before we answer that question, maybe? Oh, I think it's always wise to get as much information as you can, <laughs> but but before leaping to to conclusions. But it, it's impossible. And and again, we we reference the, the the betting line on on Virginia Tech and, and West Virginia. Mike, we've seen Carolina in person. You and I, we've seen Virginia in person. We're not experts. We're not football coaches. But how on God's green earth are the Tar Heels nine point favorites? Yeah, David, if I had said to you, the line is out and one team is a nine-point favorite, because I think that number is too big either way. Yes. But if I said to you, one team is a nine-point favorite, who would you have said? Well, because the game's in Chapel Hill, I, w- I would have said Carolina, and, and because they're ranked, because venue matters to Vegas. 
for I don't know how many points it, it traditionally is. So th- there was no way Virginia was going to be a nine-point road fave against a ranked opponent. No way. But but still, the, the, the number to me seems like you said, way too big for either side. David, the, the, this four-game win streak here for Virginia, everyone's been decided by 10 points or less, but three of them have been decided by a touchdown or less. Yeah. Last year was three points. So, in, I don't know, nine nine for a Virginia team playing really well, um, that seems, again, we'll, we'll ask Mr. McFarling, the expert, coming up, but that, that number seemed out of whack to me. David, Brennan Armstrong, We've played two games, two weeks of, of football in the ACC, and he's been the quarterback or the co-quarterback of the week twice now. Uh, how impressed are we with Brennan Armstrong? Really? I mean, he's and, – and the crazy thing is, you know, those first, what, three series against William and Mary, he was – and I think he'd be the first to tell you, he was bad. Yeah. I mean, he wasn't getting anything done. He, he had a couple ill-advised throws. He just seemed off. But then since, I mean, he has been dialed in. I mean, the crazy, he was so hot on the first two series against Illinois on Saturday that on the first play of the third series, he completed a 23-yard pass to Keaton Thompson, and that lowered his passer rating. (laughs) I mean, that's ridiculous. Right. That's a great stat. I mean, that's how scorching he was. And he's completing over 70% of his passes. Now, granted, some of them are those little flips on end arounds or whatever you want to call them that because they're forward, they, they count as a pass rather than a lateral. But still, he's been incredibly active. Yeah, I've been really impressed. Uh, arm strength just seems better. I know they, they were always big on his arm strength. It seems better this year. Um, his, his accuracy, the touch on the shorter passes. You mentioned the feel on some of those flips, which are not as easy as they look. Um, he just seems very comfortable. And he seems going into the year, David, we said, if Brendan Armstrong takes a big step forward and the secondary is better, I think Virginia could have a better season than people are expecting. Two weeks in, David, I've seen both of those things get checked off in the right column for Virginia. Absolutely. No question. I mean, Illinois was Oof. just, it was helpless on, on, on both. Mike, that score could have been a lot worse. I mean, Virginia turned it over in the fourth quarter twice in Illinois territory and also missed two field goals. Yeah, yeah, it's I actually spent some time with the place kicker today to ask about those, but uh, you're right. I mean, that that game never felt competitive, uh, and and we'll see what you know what Illinois is. They opened eyes with the win over Nebraska, and then they they shut a lot of eyes the next week with the loss to UTSA. But uh, we'll we'll see what the season holds for them. But they are a Power Five opponent, right? Like they they should be capable enough to compete, and they could not compete with Virginia. How about North Carolina? Because Obviously, big, big win uh, score-wise uh, this past week against Georgia State to, to try to get back on track after opening with the loss to the Hokies. Huh, do we think the team we saw in Blacksburg is the team we're going to see Saturday night? Do we think the team that Rick rolled Georgia State is the team we're going to see Saturday night? Or the more logical answer, do we think it's probably somewhere in between? That's Let's, let's, let's side on, on, on the logic there. Uh, I, I would think somewhere in between, but how about Sam Howell with what a buck four rushing? Yeah, the, the the other night against Georgia State, including I think it was a sixty some odd yard uh, t- touchdown, touchdown run. Yep. Uh, that 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 adds a, a a dimension that Carolina didn't need last year with Javante Williams and Michael Carter. 
So we'll see if 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 that part of the Tar Heels offense continues to emerge. The, they're going to make some plays. I mean, Sam Howell's too good, and Josh Downs and and Brown, they've got some weapons. They're going to be okay on offense. It's just a matter of if they have enough against a defense that, again, through two weeks, looks markedly better. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I, I talked to Anthony Johnson today, the, the UVA corner that transferred from Louisville, and uh, we asked him about those rushing yards and those big plays from Sam Howell. And uh, while being very respectful of that ability, he said, you know, he feels like Carolina didn't have a lot of other places to go. And so Sam Howell was in the position to have to make plays with his legs that, you're right, a year ago, <laughs> there was no need. He was surrounded by weapons. But talking to, to Phil Longo and talking to Mac Brown this week, they feel like their receivers, you know, Downs has been good in the slot from the start, but they feel like their outside receivers are coming along and um, they're getting a little closer, at least in the throw game, uh, to being where they want to be and to having the kind of weaponry they had a year ago. It's, it, it, it certainly appeared to be on, on Saturday. And, you know, they, they liked the way those receivers played in the bowl against Texas A&M. Mm-hmm. And they were really encouraged and, and, and thought that that progress continued through training camp, just hit a hit kind of a roadblock in Blacksburg, which, hey, the Hokies may be a roadblock for a lot of folks. Yeah, well, it's it's certainly going to be one of those where revisionist or I don't know if revisionist, but looking back, it'll it'll all make a lot more sense, right? <laughs> like maybe Carolina wasn't good, maybe Virginia Tech was the class of the coastal, uh, maybe Tech and UVA are one and two, but uh, for week three, <laughs> there's still I think more questions we have than answers. And well, joining us now to help you. Uh, direct your betting action this college football weekend our good friend the outstanding columnist from the roanoke times aaron mcfarling aaron how are you i'm great mike uh all right our, <laughs> my this week in gambling is now three and zero against the spread uh, that's always a good way to start things and then of course underdogs won eight of the 14 uh nfl games straight up last yesterday so uh that uh we're taping this on Monday. So that that's always a good thing for me when Moneyline dogs are cashing. Yeah, and if you've been following Aaron's betting advice, it means you're probably listening to this podcast from your new beach house somewhere uh, <laughs> tropical. So congratulations to you. And it was smart on taking Aaron's advice. And uh, into the puppy chow we go. And and, and let's start, though, with, with the two Commonwealth teams. And let's start with Virginia Tech playing at West Virginia. Uh, I think the, the fan and media consensus is that, hey, Virginia Tech might might be for real. And then here comes the line. And I'm looking at West Virginia as a three-point favorite. Uh, Aaron, what do you make of that one? I am uh, I am with the odds makers here. I'm going to take West Virginia in this game. And I know my readers aren't going to love hearing that, but uh, I think there's probably some trepidation in a lot of their minds too about what's going to happen with these Hokies going on their first road trip, you know, a real road trip with, with actual fans, a packed house since 2019. And this is really, this is the only road game they're playing in their first seven. I think it sets up that they're going to get beat here. Actually. I think it's going to be a fun one. Uh, I mean, I watched that entire West Virginia, Maryland game. I am a Maryland alum. So I was watching it. I also might've had a small short-term investment in it as well, but you know, there's a lot of speed on that West Virginia team. Team. You know, they, they do a lot of things in space. 
uh, tackling is going to be paramount for Virginia Tech. They're certainly more prepared this year to tackle in space than they were last year. There's no question about that. But I think it's going to be a high-scoring game. What I think the value here is is on the over 50-and-a-half. I mean, I think there's going to be more points than that. I, you know, the return game can can give points for, for West Virginia. Uh, I see 35-28 uh, West Virginia here. I don't think it's going to damage – you know, it's it, sure, it'll hurt in the rankings and everything else for the Hokies, but I don't think it's going to wreck their season by any stretch. They've got uh, – the coastal well within their sites as well. Yeah, that, that's an interesting thing about the way their schedule shapes up, you know, and fans and, and probably people making at least casual bets are going to be super into the West Virginia game, the Notre Dame mm-hmm. game. But as you point out, that really has no impact on whether or not they win the coastal and go to the ACC title game. And uh, another team that's in the hunt for that ACC coastal title, well, really two of them, Virginia. And North Carolina, North Carolina opened with the loss to Tech. Uh, Virginia certainly looked really impressive their first two games. They're going to Chapel Hill Saturday night as a nine-point underdog. What do you make of that one? Yeah, I, I look at that line. I think it's too many, and and part of the reason is you know a lot of the trends are, are, are heading in the Cavaliers' direction, at least when it comes to covering the spread. You know, the, the Cavaliers battle you, man. They've covered in seven of their past eight games overall. Each of the past past four meetings with UNC, they've covered the spread. Uh, and the Tar Heels are, are only one and four against the spread in their last five home games. You know, the, that's a lot of trends that that like uh, Virginia. I still like Carolina to win this game, but I, I think it's uh, closer than nine. I'm going to say North Carolina 35, Virginia 30. I think three of the last four have been decided by a touchdown or less. Mm-hmm. So uh, history is certainly on your side. Another thing I wanted to ask you, Aaron, we've seen a number of injuries uh, around the ACC, some really big name players, including James Mitchell, the tight end at uh, Virginia Tech. How quickly does Vegas react and how quickly does a line move, if it does at all, when an important player is injured? Yeah, I mean, it, it certainly is a bigger deal when it's a quarterback. It's a name person that uh, that everybody knows. Remember, these are these are public perception uh, moves that you're going to see. You know, if 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 it had been Burmeister, you know, then I think it would have moved more significantly than it did. I think we've seen a you know a half a point uptick for West Virginia. Um, I, I tend to uh, not ignore injuries. I mean, injuries are a big part of, of every sport, of course. But I, I try not to overreact too much to them. You know, I mean, the Hokies have won two games with with James Mitchell uh, playing. You know, not not the the major role that he has in, in years past. Um, and yeah, I certainly you'd love to have him out there. And it's a, I hate it for, for him. He's just a, such an impressive young man in every way, both on the field and off of it. But, um, you know, Vegas for a receiver, a tight end, you know, those things aren't going to really, uh, jack the line one way or the other, as much as, uh, as a quarterback would. Interesting stuff. Well, this segment is called Amax puppy chow. So let's look at an underdog. You got one on the board. You got a bet on the board that you really like. Yeah, I'm going to take the Hoosiers. Indiana's playing uh, Cincinnati at home, and they're catching three and a half. And, um, you know, the Hoosiers really, you know, they came in with some hype. They were ranked 17th coming into the season, and then they got their doors blown off at Iowa in that first game. Uh, And as we've come to find out, you know, Iowa's pretty darn good, you know, what they did to Iowa State uh, this past week. I I think I'm I'm willing to give the Hoosiers a mulligan here. Uh, Cincinnati's been vulnerable as a road favorite. They're two and five in their last, uh, against the spread in their past seven. Uh, games as a road favorite and you know the Hoosiers have uh, historically that Iowa's Iowa game notwithstanding they've done a good job punching above their weight class they've covered in, in five of their past six as a dog and 
and 13 of their past 16 against teams with winning records. So, you know, when the game is a three and a half point spread, if you like the three and a half, you probably like them to win too. So I'm going to go ahead and pull the trigger on Indiana 27, Cincinnati 23. Well, you heard it here first. And uh, if you haven't already got your bets down, follow along. And, and like I said, you can join some of your listening brethren uh, on the beach next week when you join them in retirement. Thanks to Aaron's <laughs> tips. So Aaron, nice job. Always great to talk to you. Uh, same here, Mike. Good luck, everyone. Let's hope to keep it going. Well, David, James Mitchell wasn't the only bad injury news in the conference. There were a number of significant injuries and uh, the kind of injuries, David, that can, can really affect things here going down the rest of the way of the season. It was a really, really dark Monday, wasn't right. it? Yeah. I mean, James Mitchell... Phil Jerkovic, the starting quarterback at, at, at Boston College, is done perhaps for the year, but certainly long-term with a hand injury. Peyton Wilson at NC State, I think unquestionably the best linebacker in the conference. He's done with, with a shoulder issue. Cyrus Fagan, one of the Wolfpack safeties, he's out. Day-Day Hollins, <laughs> n- not a starter, but a, a, a key corner. For North Carolina, he's done for the year. I mean, even even to the point where BC announced that its two-year starter at place kicker mm. is it is now done. And you know, and we, we don't tend to look at, at kickers, but this is a guy who was sixteen for twenty on field goals last year. And and, and forgive me, while I know. BC's depth chart at quarterback and Dennis Grossell, who's going to replace Phil Jerkovic as eight career starts. And oh, by the way, threw for 500 plus yards at Charlottesville last season. I do not know who BC's <laughs> backup kicker is or if he is any good. David, the reality is, I don't know if BC knows who <laughs> backup kicker or if he's because there are a lot of teams that, you know, it's funny, kickers are, are a lot like, you know, in that regard, sometimes offensive linemen or umpires in baseball, you you notice them when they go bad or you notice them if they go missing. <laughs> um, but it was, it was, it was just a brutal, and it's the thing that I don't know. It's the thing I hate about this job and that I hate about college sports. I I hate season ending injuries. I hate how they affect kids like James Mitchell who came back and and, um, wanted to play another year in college. And, and is such a, from our experience, such a good guy, you know, um, really easy to talk to, uh, really easy going. You could tell he really just enjoys the experience of being a college football player. I hate that, that that's been taken away from him, uh, you know, through no fault of his own. And then we talked about how that's going to impact Virginia Tech's offense. And I think the, the injury at NC State is going to disrupt their vision of their defense, right? It's not plug and play. It's not, okay, who do you put in? And I know they say those things, right? They always say next man up, but you change the the construct and the vision of your defense when your All-American caliber inside linebacker is no longer in that spot. You just have to. Um, I hate that part of, of college athletics. No doubt. And Mike, you, you, you mentioned how James Mitchell is held in such high regard among his teammates and his coaches. It's earlier in the season, but it reminds me last year of Charles Snow at UVA, a young man who decided to come back, who represented the institution, the team, his family in such good ways. And then, you know, again, through just through sheer fate has, has it all end in one play. Just brutal, brutal. Speaking of brutal, Week one for the ACC was pretty brutal. <laughs> Week two, David, 
<laughs> I, you know, it was it, the nice thing about the schedule here and the way they've done it. You've always got a chance to kind of redeem yourself. Um, they split with the Big Ten, right? They, Rutgers beat Syracuse, but Virginia roughed up Illinois. Uh, they split with the SEC because Pittsburgh did win it at, at Tennessee, w- whereas uh, <laughs> NC State, you know, was much less successful with Mississippi. Right, that State. was lifeless. That I mean, for Just, a team that everyone was kind of on, for, you know, to maybe challenge Clemson, but finish second in the Atlantic. I mean, they gave up an opening kickoff return for a touchdown and didn't look like they had it in them for the next 59 minutes and change. David, that would be the game I think you and I would be banging on and harping on and saying, this is the weak link. This is what makes the ACC look bad. But hey, guess who got the Wolfpack off the hook? Florida State losing at home to Jacksonville State 2017 in in, in maybe one of the most bizarre finishes I've ever seen because uh, Jacksonville State scores on the last play of the game. They don't throw a Hail Mary. They they throw essentially a deep route, catch it, and Florida State defense just seems disinterested in making the tackle and the gun goes off 20 to 17 Jacksonville state. That's as bad a loss as, as the conference had uh, this week or this season or in a while. What do we make of, of the mess in Tallahassee? 59 yards on just a simple go route against an FCS team. It's, it's indefensible pun very much intended. I mean, it, it can't happen. That's, that's coaching. That's preparation. That, that's a whole lot of things. And the, the schedule does not get any easier for, for the Seminoles. You know, everybody after the overtime loss, the opening weekend to Notre Dame and, and how, how much the, the Knolls fought and Mackenzie Milton's comeback and what a great atmosphere it was at Doe Campbell. Just all of it flushed within 10 seconds, however long that be took. So week one, we said, okay, bad luck for the ACC, but let's not overreact. Now we've got two weeks in the book and we're not, <laughs> we're not overwhelmed, overly impressed. What are we making of the ACC, David? Maybe Pitt's pretty good. Yeah. Maybe the Hokies and, and Cavaliers are, are, are pretty darn good. We're, we're about to, maybe Carolina's still pretty good. We'll, we'll find out. Miami certainly didn't light anything on fire. The, the Hurricanes were very fortunate uh, to, to, to get by Appalachian State. Not as fortunate as the feline who fell from the upper deck. And How about that? <laughs> How about that? If you if you haven't seen this, go look this, this clip up on YouTube or uh, wherever you get your ridiculous videos these days. But yeah, a cat. And I said to my wife, I said, how did the cat get into the upper deck of the stadium? And right. she kind of looked at me and, you know, we have, we have a cat here at the house, Hampton. And she said, cats get in everywhere. <laughs> and that's a good point. But this cat's hanging from, essentially hanging from the, the banner, right? Uh, up there in the stadium and drops. David, do we know how far that cat dropped? It was, <laughs> let's put it this way. If they hadn't caught him in mm. the flag, it would have been really messy. Yes. And in true cat form, and, and I'm, I'm not trying to bang on cats here, but in true cat form, he was not appreciative in the least. That cat wanted away from those people. And add, and I don't blame him. I'm sure that was traumatic, but it was it was very uh, cat the way uh, they saved his life. And he looked like he couldn't wait to just be done with them. <laughs> 
And that was, that was the highlight of that game. Yeah. Yeah. If, if you're Miami, you're hoping that's the only thing anybody's talking about from that one. Well, there are some more chances, right? I said this. The schedule gives you more chances. Miami, they get another chance. They got Michigan State, who I think people are starting to realize is, is pretty decent this year. Uh, Duke Northwestern, that might be of interest to the new ACC commissioner. Hmm. Uh, those are the Big Ten matchups. We talked about Tech and West Virginia with the Big 12. And speaking of the Big 12, they've they've got some more teams coming their way. David, what we talked about, you know, who makes sense, who doesn't, financial reasons. What do you think of the invites uh, going out from the Big 12? I think they made the right decisions, Mike. Yeah. And, and not only did they make the correct decisions, they made them quickly. <laughs> sure and, did. And, and they needed to, because if if allowed to fester, this was was not going to end for the Big 12. They, they had to respond and counter to losing Texas, Oklahoma, and Oklahoma. Now, Houston, Cincinnati, UCF, and BYU are not Texas and Oklahoma. No one is saying they are. But they were about as good a football brands as you could have found to add to a Power Five conference. I don't know where else you could have turned. No, absolutely. And we talked about this when we talked about Notre Dame, but um, I like Houston because of the market, right? Mm-hmm. It's, it's a good program. It's a respectable program. It's a school that's putting more in, um, and they get you into a valuable uh, area there in the Houston uh, television market. The same thing uh, when you're thinking about Cincinnati. No, of course, they're, they're not Ohio State. We get that. But that's a really good program, uh, having a really good season this year and, and high expectations, but business-wise gets you in a good market. I think Central Florida does too. BYU, um, that's probably more about the tradition of the program and the quality of the program. Um, but yeah, I thought I thought this was, <laughs> I want to say a home run for the Big 12 in that it was the best they could do. I think it was more, they took a pitch on the outside part of the plate and slapped it into right field, right? Like they did all they could do in the situation. Um, I thought they did the most with their situation and these were the right additions. Yeah, I, I wouldn't shortchange BYU and I'm not just trying to suck up to, to Bronco Mendenhall and most of his coaches. Uh, that had, That is a brand with a large, large fan base or around the country because of the church affiliation. And you look at at some TV ratings, BYU brings eyeballs. So I I think that was a really, really wise, wise addition and inclusion by the big 12. Yeah. So four pickups that they might not jump off the page, but they do potentially uh, add revenue and add television viewers, which is really um, sadly in some ways (laughs) what it's all about. Uh, It also brings us to this week's edition of take it or leave it. Thank you, Mike. And uh, David, this time we're going to start with you. Now that there's an unsigned alliance and the Big 12 seems to have found its replacement teams, there won't be any more Power 5 conference realignments for the next three years. Let's take it or leave it with David. I will very hesitantly take it with the one caveat of if the college football playoff expansion to 12 teams is derailed and somehow Notre Dame's playoff access is compromised by, say, an eight-team model that includes five or six automatic bids, then I think you could very well see Notre Dame heading to the ACC and then perhaps maybe even the ACC adding one more. Okay, good point. Uh, Mike? David, remind me, have you seen a copy yet of the signed agreement for the Alliance? (laughs) 
<laughs> no, you haven't. I haven't either because there isn't one. I'm going to leave it because all of this is being done. All of all of the stability that is coming to college football is coming in the form of handshakes from quite bluntly, a, a group of people, a profession of people who have proven in the past that they'll do what's in the best interest for their schools and, and, and leagues, and, and in some ways, rightfully so. Um, I'm going to leave it because I think it's a fool's errand to predict what's going to happen. And it's hard to imagine going three years without something uh, coming apart, coming undone. David mentioned the, the implications of the college football playoff. That's the big one, right? And, and where they're headed with a, a new TV deal. Um I'm going to leave it because unless I see a signed document that says the alliance isn't going to pilfer from each other, I'm not even convinced that we won't see movement within that group, let alone the entire Power Five. So uh, I've got to leave it. it. It does bring up another question, though, David. We we stuck the word Power Five in the question, but I think it's pretty obvious that change is coming to the remaining leagues, right? To the group of six. What do you see the future there? Oh, I don't think there's any question. I mean, the, the AAC has has come out and been very frank and said, you know, with, with the loss of UCF, Cincinnati and Houston, that that league is, is on the market, you know, is in the market to, to add some teams. And there's got to be some geographic sense brought to conferences such as CUSA and the Sun Belt. They're just scattered all over, and th- th- there needs to be some some adjustments there. And I wonder still, Mike, you know, it's my alma mater and a school you covered for a long, long time, if this might create an opportunity for James Madison to leave FCS and elevate to the FBS. Yeah, you know, you mentioned the, the sort of bad feeling from West Virginia fans over tech leaving them. That's at JMU when it comes to ODU, because ODU restarted its program got good at FCS football, and then bolted for FBS really quickly. And it's something JMU has been talking about for years. I mean, the whole decade I spent in Harrisonburg, it was always a major topic. I don't know that it always made sense for JMU to, to, to jump to FBS. I think now more than ever, maybe it does. Uh, with some of the other moves, with some of the teams that have been in and out of the conference, um, just the general uh, viability of the FCS level. I think now it's starting to make sense. So I'm intrigued by them. I'm intrigued by another school that I think a lot of times the conferences, uh, even group of six were reluctant to touch because maybe of some politics and some off the field stuff. David, what happens to Liberty? Does this, does this open the door for more moves for Liberty? Mike, there's no maybe about it. They're hesitant to touch Liberty. Absolutely. Because of politics. There's, it's just a, a, a fact of life. And no matter what side of the aisle you happen to be on, there's, there, there's no denying that. And whether that's right or wrong is a debate for, for another day. But that has been the, the, the issue. Whether recent changes at the institution have, have, have eased those concerns, I do not know. But there's no question that Liberty invests an awful lot of money and manpower in its athletics program. All you have to do is drive past hmm. the the campus. It's breathtaking they've done from a facility standpoint. And oh, by the way, they had a heck of a football season last year. And you know, but but for a blocked field goal at North Carolina State, might have been undefeated. Yeah, and they may be on their way to another big season this year. They, they've got a basically everybody back there. And yeah, I think if you take the politics out of it, uh, Liberty's a slam dunk. You can't do that. Like you, I thought maybe they 
were they were headed in a, a direction that they would become more palatable. And then I did read all the headlines this past week with the um, you know their stance on on the vaccine and requirements and right. um, the outbreak that they've then dealt with. And um, it, it's just a reminder that that it's it's a little trickier than just hey this place has got great facilities uh, they're really invested let's add them. There's a little more to it. Uh, but yeah, we might be headed to a future where Liberty, JMU, ODU, maybe they all end up in the in the same place. And uh, I think for Virginia um, and for Olympic sports, that all would make a lot of sense. A ton of sense. And I know some some athletic directors at some smaller schools around the Commonwealth who would love to make that happen. You know, sure would be easing on their budgets uh, if their softball teams and tennis teams weren't traveling, as you mentioned, with some of these conferences out to El Paso and wherever else uh, when they could be playing in quality programs here within the state. I think that would be good for everyone. Well, thanks for listening. You can subscribe to Teal and Barber on Apple Podcasts or wherever you find your favorite pods. And please consider supporting local journalism with an online subscription to the TD. You can find special promotional offers available at richmond.com. Today's show was produced by Dean Hoffmeyer. Teal and Barber is a podcast of the Richmond Times-Dispatch and richmond.com. For David Teal, I'm Mike Barber. Thanks for listening. Be healthy and safe. And please join David and me again next time.